before you and just thank you for this time to gather together. We ask you to bless this time as we look at the Word, ask you to help us to see what you would have us to see, and give us a wonderful time in this study. In your son's precious name, amen. Revelation chapter 22, and starting at verse 10, and he said unto me, seal not the saying of this prophecy, of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So we want to look at this kind of very interesting statement here about remaining what they are. So I remember quickly means not quickly. Yeah, quickly is not quickly, yes. yes. We talked about that last week. Uh, or quickly, not quickly from our point of view anyway. It's quickly from God's point of view. So we're going to look at this, and it says, Seal not the saying of this prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. And we talked last week about how this is referring to where Daniel was told to seal up the prophecy he saw. And that was because it was like 4,000 years too early, and, and God said, seal up whatever it was that he saw. And John is being told, tell everybody. And we come back to this idea of, I come quickly, uh, which is Jesus from God's perspective. And you know we talked about how from God's perspective, from an eternal perspective, any, anything to do with our time from the beginning to end is quick from his perspective. So we look at this, he that is unjust, let him be unjust. So this is a state that remains constant, so it cannot be in our time frame, because we can always be redeemed. So we want to look at this, and this obviously, because the white throne judgment's already come, the new heaven and earth has come, he is talking about the new heaven and new earth point of, point of view. And so, and we really see this when we get into the in, the, in the Greek, the first one, let him be, let him be unjust, is in this case, in it, uh, aorist, which is basically past tense, and it's active and it's imperative. So he's saying, this is an order, okay? This is an order, a command. He, he who is unjust after the white throne judgment is going to remain unjust. And we see the same thing in him that is filthy, let him be filthy still. And again, it's active. It's active participle, which means, again, it's, it's what is going to happen. So he's talking about the future. When people are sent to hell, they're going to be filthy, they're going to be unjust, as far as from God's point of view, for all of eternity. And this is, you know, it seems so harsh to us you know, that this is going to happen. But in reality, it is what they deserve. And when we get there, we're going to see it from God's point of view. And we're going to see all the opportunities they had to accept him. And this is something we have to keep in mind, that when people are sent to hell, well, let's, give, let's say they're not sent to hell. They're given what they asked for by rejecting Jesus. So they're going to, but they're going to be shown every opportunity they had had to accept. And we've shared this before. I, I love it when yeah. you talk to somebody who's a newly saved person and they go, and their testimony is, and I heard for the first time the gospel. 
And it's really funny when, you, when it's somebody you know, and you know that they've heard the gospel multiple times possibly, and, but you know, we've, uh, we've said it over and over, it really is the first time that it actually registered really on their brain, on him, that it re really registered, and they go, oh, yes. And how many times when we're reading the Bible do we have that kind of moment like, you know, we've maybe a book that we've read a hundred times or, you know, we've been through it so many times and all of a sudden we read it and I'm going, wow, I never, you know, I love it. Go, I've even asked God, you know, in, in kind of in a joking manner, God, when did you put that verse in there? I've never seen it before and I know that I've read through it so many times, but there's a time when the Holy Spirit says, this is for you today. And all, and all of a sudden, it just clicks in your brain, and you know you've you've read it a hundred times, you've heard sermons on it possibly, and all of a sudden it becomes real. I I think it's funny sometimes when I'm listening to a preacher that's especially one of the preachers I've listened to most of my life, like Dr. McGee or something, you know, through the Bible, and all of a sudden he says something, and I'm going, is that where I learned that? You know, because it's like you know you it's so been stuck in your brain so long, you kind of think that you thought it up, and all of a sudden you realize. Oh, I heard this when I was a teenager, obviously, and, and it planted in and, and became part of who you are, so much so that you kind of think you thought of it, and even though you know you really probably didn't. Yeah. Uh, and so even in our walk with God, there's these times when something all of a sudden becomes right up in the front of us, and all of a sudden it says, now it's time for you to pay attention to, you, to it. And as I said Sunday, it's amazing to me that by preaching word by word, verse by verse through the Bible, whatever we preach is what the church needs to hear at that particular time. And it's just amazing how God's word is so alive and so real. And here he's bringing it out. Once, they, once they're judged, they're going to be unrighteous forever. And then he goes on to say, and let him that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And him that is holy, let him be holy still. Because we're in Christ for all of eternity, we will be righteous and holy. And that's good news. <laughs> that once we get glorified, we have eternal life and we will never, through all of eternity, lose that standing. <coughs> and I hope that hits you really well because we, you know, we'll lose our desire to sin. We'll have no flesh that have the desire to sin. And I almost believe that we lose our free will to make any other decision, but it's a good thing at that point because we've made our decision. We've made our decision on our short time on earth. And this is something that is hard to understand. You know, we get, you know, 60, 80, 100 years to make a decision for God or not for God, and we spend eternity living with that decision. And for those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and his sacrifice, you know, we get to have a blessed time on this earth because we are at peace with him living in us. Doesn't mean we don't have any hard times. <laughs> but you know, as a Christian, have you realized how easy some of your problems really are when you just relax in God? I realize when you really focus on him, you get more blessed. You get, yeah. A lot more blessed. Well, or you recognize your yeah, blessings yeah, more. I think you recognize your blessings more. Because it's easy to walk through something and not realize the blessing that you have and in I one sense miss out on more. it. I, I'm, I realize it a lot more. None of the stuff that I usually do on certain things, it's not me, I'm being blessed. Mm -hmm. That's how I look at it. 
and it's great to it and that's why I, I love the song count your blessings you know yeah, I love that song. because it really is a song that says focus on what God is doing yeah and this is why Paul said I've learned to be content in whatever is going on why because he's focusing on God he's focusing on how God is blessing and you know he had a really hard time you know he kept getting shipwrecked he kept getting beat he kept getting thrown into prison and yet he said I've learned to be content because he counted all of this world as, as nothing. And the more we focus on this world, the less we recognize the blessings that God's putting on in our path. And I believe we're still being blessed even though we don't recognize it because we look back over our life and say, oh, I really was blessed back when I this happened. Yeah. Even though I didn't recognize it, I didn't understand well, I it. I really wasn't super focusing on it. I was really blessed because I should be here sometimes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but... No, God, like you said, God has a plan for me, and I have no idea what. And I hope it is. No, no. <laughs> yep. And when we are focused on him, all of a sudden, we start seeing it. And it's really important we get into his word. He changes the way we think. He changes our attitudes. And the more we're in his word, the more we're changed. The more we're listening and being taught, the more we're changed. To the point where we start acting more and more like God in our in our walk and that is a good thing it the rest of the people don't like it because it, we start representing God and have you gotten to the place where when you come into the somebody's presence they know God is there you know it's an amazing fact when you bring if you've got God in you and he's splashing out all over the place you come in you don't even have to speak about him sometimes and people know he's there and my example of that is the restaurants that I had run in the past. I didn't preach and tell them they couldn't use God's name in vain and cuss and everything, but I, I maintained a professional. I brought God into it. And when people would cuss, they would, they would apologize to me for it. And I'm, I had never said, you can't do it. Now, if, I would tell them that in front of customers, you know, you're going to be professional. But, but that was as far as I went. You need to be professional and, and keep a good standard. But in the back, they would slip, they would apologize, not because I had said anything to them, but because God's presence was there because I brought it with me with because he was in me. And have you ever had somebody cussing and swearing and all of a sudden they look over and say, oh, I apologize? <laughs> now that happened to me even before I was, it happens all the time now as a pastor, but it uh, happened even before that, that people would, would apologize for swearing in front of me. I'm going, I'm not the one that you're offending. It's God you're offending. But even that statement, oh my God, in most people's use is, is using his name in vain. Because they're not talking about God. They're just be empty, emptily, uh, vainly using his name. Especially our teenagers and young adults who are used to texting and they use OMG all the time. They're using God's name in vain and don't even realize it. Because most of them are not talking about God. They're, they're just using his name in a very light and, and vain way. And we need to be able to start understanding understanding that. So here we are in this verse saying, after the, after the judgment, we are stuck with wherever we have made our decision with. And this is a statement that kind of makes that very clear, especially when you get down into the Greek side of it, where it says you're going to stay that way. And so we look at this and say, in, the, in just an amazing way that God says, you know, we have a short time. And that has always amazed me that, you know, what our decision after this very short time of life affects eternity. And it's kind of scary for some people. And it should, it should 
motivate us to share God with other people because we need to show them that God loves them. And, you know, most people don't really, they want God to love them, they want a God that loves them, but they don't really believe that God will love them. They really need us to share that God loves them because that's what touches them. If you want to really touch a Muslim's heart, you tell them about a God that loves them because Allah is not a God of love. There is no love in Allah. He is an angry God who, if you do enough good, he will accept you into his presence. But for the most part, they're always worried about being corrected and condemned. People are looking for that love that God reaches out to them. And this is true of every single religion out there. They are looking to, for acceptance of God. And, and for Christianity, we tell them God loves them because he does. He loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us so that he could bring us to his presence. This is the key part of Christianity. We have a God who loves us and wants to have a relationship with us. And we see it in most of these other religions, the God doesn't want to have a relationship with you unless you've done something to earn that relationship. And God is saying, here's your decision, you can make it. And if we had just expressed love to most people, Usually when you say, you know, God loves you, they're going to go, oh, not me. I'm, I'm terrible. God doesn't love me. You have to kind of convince them that God loves them and paid the price. And it doesn't matter how bad they are. God loves them. God loves every one of the people he has created. And that would include people like Hitler and Stalin and Mao Zedong and all these people who are really vicious and have hurt people. God still loves them. And he will love the people even when he condemns them to the hell that they have chosen. That is going to be his greatest heartbreak is to give them what they chose knowing they could have had something better. But it all comes down to what have you done with Christ? Because we've talked about that. At the White Throne Judgment, the only question that is going to be asked of them is what did you do with Jesus? Because Jesus paid for the sin. And the, one, the thing that sends you to hell is the rejection of Jesus Christ's sacrifice. It will also ultimately be your sin, but the, the ultimate goal is, what did you do with Jesus? If you've accepted him, you are saved and going to heaven and truly accepted him and all that, all that stuff we've talked about. And if you've rejected him, you're going to get the reward for the rejecting him and go to hell. Now, whether there's different levels in hell for your sin and whether they're revealed, I'm not going to get into. There's lots of debate on that. But I do know the only thing that sends you there is rejecting Jesus. And uh, we've all, I mean, we've talked about hell is not, is not a place where there's any righteousness and Satan is not building a kingdom in hell. He's, he's a prisoner in hell. His goal is to hurt God because God created man in his image and he endowed man with the dominion of this world because he put us in charge of it, a person representing him in his image. We rejected that, gave that power to Satan, and then Jesus took it back at the cross we're now looking at the, the future where we're going to be Jesus' bride, which puts us back where we're supposed to be in the first place, in rule of the new heaven and new earth. We are born sinners. Since, since Adam and Eve sinned, we are born as a sinner. We are born deserving death. We are born with a spiritual death in us and a physical death in our future, all because of the fall of Adam and Eve. And so this is 
this is very true, and we've talked about this. I mean, none of us who've had kids ever taught our kids to, to be bad. Now, at some point, maybe we did by our example, but especially when they were first born, we didn't teach them to be selfish with their toys, and, and we worked real hard to teach them to be, you know, to share their toys and to be kind to their, kind to their, their brother or sister and or friends or, you know, whatever. And, you know, as we got older, yes, we set examples of how to sin because we're not perfect and we, you know, maybe had some really bad sins in our life that our kids picked up. At that early age, we didn't teach our kids to be selfish. We didn't teach our kids to be mean one to, one to another. It just is what happens because we are sinners and they are sinners. This is why it's important, and I keep bringing this up, it's we know that people are sinners. We cannot be surprised when people sin. We should not be surprised when people do things that hurt us or other people because they are sinners. Now the world is surprised when they do that because they kind of believe that people are blank slates and they're supposed to be good until they're, until they're taught to be bad. So the world has this idea, well, they shouldn't be this way. The world has this idea that we can educate people enough that they will change. Which is why if you, if you really pay attention to the news and everything, everything is all about education. That's what psychologists and sociologists are all about. Let's educate you as to why you're doing wrong, and then once we've educated you enough, you will make the right decisions to do good. Because they discount the flesh being evil. Because they truly believe that you're basically good, and if I just give you enough education, tell you why you're doing all these bad things, because of all the bad teaching you've had that made you bad, now you can start making good decisions if we just give you enough education, which is why our education system teaches so much more than just reading, writing, and arithmetic as it used to, and teaches you all these things that are supposed to be what you're supposed to learn because that is what they're trying to do. They're trying to educate you back to a good person. They're failing because they don't recognize the problem. And the first way to answer all any problem is to recognize the problem. That's what we said, you know, even Sunday. As long as we're making excuses for our sin and saying, well, I'm sick, or it's just the way I am, or I'm this way because mom and dad were this way, or, or you know, this happened and that happened, as long as we're making excuses for sin, we will never deal with our sin. We have to recognize, number one, that it is sin, and number two, that I'm accountable for the sin that I commit. Then I can go in and confess to God that it's a sin and repent from it and ask for his help to, to get victory over it. But until I recognize it as sin, I'm, not gonna, I'm never going to deal with it. The alcoholic who thinks that he's just got a disease is, is never going to deal with their drinking. Well, I'm just who I am. I'm sick. And they're going to continue drinking forever because it's not their problem. And we see this, and it's, it's hard sometimes. I, you know, I see people who keep getting back into the same bad relations, and they, they get out of one relation and go, and go to another person just like the person they left, and go back through the same process of being beat or abused or neglected or put down or whatever, whatever it is, and they get out of that relationship and go right back into the same relationship again. Part of it is just learn, learn condition. Part of it is they don't feel like they deserve anything better than what they've, they've, they've learned. But if they get into God's word and find out that they have value, they can make great decisions that are honest decisions again. And that's the most important thing.
when we recognize that God says we're valuable and truly believe it, that will change the way we act and think about ourselves and the things we look for. When we don't feel that we have any value, we're going to think we deserve whatever we, whatever we get. Seeing ourselves the way God sees us through God. Because I don't need to respect myself. Because in, in, I have value for one reason. That's because God says I have value. And if you, go, if you think you have value within yourself otherwise, you don't. you're deceiving yourself and you end up being very arrogant. You know, this is who I am. And we've all seen those people who think that they're the greatest things since sliced bread you know, out there. And you know, you've got to you know, recognize how smart they are or how good they are or how kind they are or how rich, whatever it is that they think they have value in. And our value has to rest in who we are in Christ. If we recognize who we are in Christ, we have great value and we go, I'm precious to God because he paid this price for me. I don't deserve to be treated this way that, from somebody. And then you pray for them and you let God deal with them, you let God defend. And this is so important, we've gone over this over, over and over, especially in Psalms class. God is our defender, always. When things are going bad, it doesn't mean stay in a bad situation. If you're being beat or abused, get out of that situation. But God is our defender. When things are being said about you and, and, and people are trying to bring you down, you say, God, you're my defender. Because if you try to defend yourself, and this has been my experience, if I try to defend myself against people saying bad things about me, I just make things worse. And because there's that old saying that, you know, you protest too much. You, you, you're, by you trying to defend yourself, you almost prove that something's there for them to, to be in attacking. And if you just stay quiet and let God be your defender, God defends. He brings things out in the open. The truth will always be revealed eventually. Maybe not as fast as we want it to be, but the truth always comes out because it is the light. It is true. And it will come out. Sometimes it comes out after you're dead, <laughs> after the person's dead, but the truth will come out, whether somebody's good or bad. Well, the truth just comes out when you go to God, in front of God. If that's, it, it'll come out long out. before that. You think so? It'll come out before that. Because God is truth. He will, he will, his truth reveals what's going on. And we will see it. God, and believe me, I've, I've seen it over and over and over. And each one of you probably have done it. The truth will always come out in a situation. Maybe, like I say, maybe not as fast as you want it to. But it eventually will come out for the good or the bad. I mean, sometimes if you're trying to hide things... The truth will still come out. Sometimes I've had people go, well, that's just not right. Well, that's because we have this graduated thing that somehow if I don't do a lot of bad, I somehow deserve heaven and deserve the reward I get. No, I don't deserve anything. Take the best person you can possibly think of that you know or don't know or in history, they don't deserve heaven either because of their sin. No matter how good you think somebody is, they don't deserve heaven. It's only because of Jesus Christ. And we have this, as humans, have this kind of graduated thinking. Well, this person's actually pretty good. Maybe, maybe they deserved heaven. No, they didn't deserve heaven either. And this is why I've said, it's, and it's basically said as a joke, but there's two things we're going to be surprised of when we get to heaven. 
the people who are there and the people who aren't there. Because there's going to be people that we're going to look at and we're going to go, how did you get here by the grace of God? Why aren't you here? Because I didn't have the grace of God. I didn't accept Jesus Christ. And this is why we share the gospel with, with all people. When somebody tells me they're a Christian, my first question is, what does that mean to you? Because I've been around long enough that I know that sometimes what they mean is not what Christianity is all about. I remember in the 70s and 80s, you'd, you'd ask somebody, are you a Christian? And they'd go, of course, I'm an American. Okay, well, I'm sorry, that doesn't make you a Christian. Recently, I asked somebody what that means. They go, well, my grandpa was a preacher. I'm going, well, what does that mean for you? You know, how does your grandpa being a preacher make you, make you a Christian? Because we need to make sure people understand they all what they're their doing. Blood. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. 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 the answer to that one is Jesus, God doesn't have any grandchildren. You know, yeah. He has children only. <laughs> so you make a decision for him or you don't. You're not, you're not saved because your mom or dad was a Christian. You're not saved because your grandparents were Christians. You're not saved because everybody else in your family is a Christian. But this takes us back to the, the pamphlet that I had in the bulletin about forgiveness. You know, how do we forgive somebody? I mean, the first step is to quit thinking about it. Okay, that is the first step in forgiveness. Because if I stop for thinking about it, I, I will basically forget it. Okay, if I keep bringing it up in my mind, I haven't forgiven them. Because I'm looking at it, what did they do? Why did they do it? And I'm trying to analyze it. And I'm gonna tell you right now is, in spite of what psychology tells you, do not analyze why they did what they did. They did it because they were a sinner, okay? The more you analyze and try to figure out and assign motive, the more angry you're going to get about the situation. That's like building your coals on the fire. You just, you're just yeah. throwing more wood on the fire, and especially because you don't know what they were thinking in the first place, so now you're assigning motive to it. And when you assign motive to somebody, number one, you're not usually right. Even if you are, what difference does it make? Okay, so you've got to quit thinking about the issue. The second step, if you stop thinking about it, is also quit talking about it. Why do we talk about things that people did and, and we're unforgiven? Because we're trying to make them pay a little bit. Making other people, even if they don't know the person, get upset with them and, and agree with me, oh, they're just terrible people. Oh, you know, so we talk about it, which is, if we stopped at the first step and quit thinking about it, we would definitely would not be talking about it. And then, we stop trying to make them pay for it. God is going to make them pay for it. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And you know, if you just back off and let God deal with these people, he does a better job than we do. And if we're trying to make them pay, he's just going to back off and say, okay, I'm just going to wait till you're done trying to make them pay. Believe me, I've done this over the years where if, I, if I'm trying to make them pay, God doesn't step in. He's not going to step in if we think we can make them pay. But when we back off and say, God, it's yours, and watch, and I'm, I'm challenging you to really do this with people. Let God make them pay, and you'll be surprised what will happen with people. They will all of a sudden be arrested. They will lose things that they thought they had. They will they'll lose their reputation. They'll lose their property. They may lose their health. I mean, when God steps in to make somebody pay, 
it's something that hopefully as Christians we're not happy about because God will step in and make them pay. And sometimes that means stripping everything away from them. I've actually prayed for people that were being that I wanted to see disciplined and go, God, you please stop. That's it's far enough. Okay, because of how harsh his way is, but his way is trying to bring them to him. And we saw that all through Revelation as we read this book. Everything that happens in the book of Revelation isn't just because God's angry. He is angry. But his purpose in everything was to bring people to him. <coughs> when he sends something harsh into somebody's life, his purpose is, yes, to punish them, but ultimately that they will turn to him and ask for forgiveness. And when he's disciplining us, the same thing. He's, ask, he's wanting us to turn to him and confess what we've done and ask for forgiveness. His purpose is not just to be mean and, and vicious and, and angry with us. His purpose is because he loves us, he's trying to turn us back to him. When he's doing it even with the lost world, he's trying to turn them back to him because that's his goal. He loves so much that he wants all to go to heaven. His desire is that no one goes to hell. Now if that's what they really want, he's going to give it to them, but that's not his great desire. And we want to be aware of that. And that's why when we pray for people, we pray that God will come into their life because that's what they need. Even if they're a backsliding Christian, what they need is for God to be in the center of their life. If we're having backsliding issues, we need to pray that God comes back into the center of our life. You know, Jesus at the beginning of the Revelation said, you've lost your first love. And unfortunately, so oftentimes we as Christians lose that first love that we have for God. Do you, I hope you remember, when you first got saved, do you remember that you were ready to tell everybody about what happened to you, that peace you felt, the, the load that came off of you when you first got saved, and the excitement you had? The funniest thing that happens to us, the more we learn about God, and the more we learn that we don't know, the less we start talking about Him. But when we first get saved, we were telling everybody. You know, it's fun to watch a new Christian. They're telling everybody. They don't know any answers. <laughs> and I've shared with you, when I first got saved, I went around to all my friends and I go, well, how do you get saved? I go, I don't remember how to do it, but come on to Sunday school with me. They had me say this prayer. <laughs> I couldn't remember the prayer that I had said. I didn't know, I didn't know anything. I was 10 years old, and all I, did, all I wanted is everybody to get saved. You know, come on, this, this is great. <laughs> well, you know, and over the years, I've lost that enthusiasm to tell everybody. It doesn't mean I don't share at all. I mean, I still share, but I've lost that enthusiasm to tell everybody that I, that I meet. It's important for us to share. Important for us to invite people to Christ. Give the gospel out. It can be as simple as just saying, you know, going to people and saying, you know, God loves you and see if that opens up the doors. That may open up a lot of doors because a lot of people will say, well, there's no way, and oh, let me tell you about why he loves you. <laughs> and you're ready to share about Christ. And this is so important. It says in verse 12, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his, as his work shall be. Jesus says he comes quickly, which we already talked about at the beginning of this chapter. Quickly does not necessarily mean quickly from our perspective, as we realize he said, you know, he said I'm coming back 2,000 years ago, or just, just short of 2,000 years ago. But he is, and from his perspective, he's coming quickly. And we've got to understand this. You know, 
we've talked about God's omnipresence. He is with Adam and Eve. He is already in the millennial kingdom. He's with us now. So for him, quickly is just about anything. Okay, because this is just a split second. He's in, he's in all of our time frame altogether. He's in all 7,000 some years of, of time that when you figure the millennial kingdom in there. He's already there, so for him, anything is quick. That's why it's all amazing. <laughs> and he says, I come quickly and my reward, the wages, your dues for your work, are in his hand ready to give to everybody according to our work. This is so phenomenal that he wants to reward us. And we've talked about this. What is he rewarding us for? The things we let him do in our life. And God's plan is totally different than man's plan. You know, man, man goes out and works, and he works real hard, and he gets paid for the work they do, that, that we do. Hopefully. <laughs> as long as you've got a good boss. Or, or, or a boss who's following the rules. But when God comes in, he's saying, I want to reward you for what I did in you, in and through you. And if it's done in our flesh, he's saying, well, that's not good. That's the flesh. It's not going to stand before me. It's going to burn up. And if you've been walking with God long enough and serving God long enough, you know there are times when you have served him when it's you. And you know that there's times when you've served him and it's not you. And you know those are the wonderful times when you're talking to somebody and all of a sudden you're you actually start listening to yourself <laughs> saying, I'm not this eloquent, I'm not this smart, I'm not this good, and you realize it's the Holy Spirit using your voice and your, and, your, and your being to reach out to somebody. And if you start sharing the gospel with people, you're going to find that happening a lot. Where all of a sudden God, well, you start listening to yourself and realizing, did I know that? Do I, did I understand that? Or you know, how, did, how, did I, how did I know this? Or... And you'll know that it's God working through you. And he says, I've got the reward for you. I've got the reward right here for you, and I'm ready to give it to you. And the good thing about that reward, it's eternal. This is what goes into our mansion that he's building us. This is, goes into, talks about the crowns of authority that we will have and the rewards. And we're going to be in heaven, and there's going to be some people up there that have just a little, sh little tiny room with nothing in it but a bed maybe because they've earned no rewards. Those are the people that got saved at the last possible second of their life and never earned a reward, but they've got a room. And then you can, then I picture these people, and I've showed you, I kind of picture this great big multiple place where up, up toward the top you have the, the people that had whole floors of the building or, or huge sections of the building, and they're going to be wonderfully decorated with all their rewards. You know, it's going to be great just to be in heaven for those who have the little, little shack, but God's going to give us rewards. And he says that those who have great riches will be rewarded even more than those, because he's going to take from those who didn't use what they, what they had. And what it all means, we don't know. We talked about, the, you know, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. The, the new heaven and earth has a whole economic system and commerce system that we don't even begin to understand. And we'll have authority over something or someone or some beings who knows what would it be other other christians who just barely made it in i don't know it's going to be interesting to see what's up there when we but we read all through the old testament and it talks about the new heaven and earth and the commerce and all that's going on and jesus says i've got a reward for you 
what it means to have a reward in heaven, I have no idea. But he talks about it often enough that makes it say it's important. You know, we in our in our flesh go, yeah, give me all the rewards you can. I want to be as you know as important as I can. But that's not a spiritual answer because what did Jesus say? He that is last shall be first, and who's first shall be last. He talks about servant leadership. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you have to serve. He gave us the example when he washed the feet of the apostles. And you, if you realize, washing the feet of somebody was the job you gave to the lowest servant in your house. The guy that couldn't do anything else got the, got the job of washing people's feet. Because anybody could do it, and it was just a low, non-important job as far as, uh, as went. But that meant your feet were clean when you walked into the house. It was a very important job. It had no honor. It was given to the, the lowest of the servants. And yet Jesus did that for the disciples and said, if I have done this for you, go and do likewise. Now, that doesn't mean we're going out, wash everybody's feet. <laughs> okay, and I know that there's churches that do that, and I'm, you know, and that's fine. But the example was, are you willing to wash the toilets in the, in the church and have nobody recognize it? Are you willing to maintain the landscape and have nobody recognize that you're the one doing it? Are you willing to do whatever it takes that nobody recognizes to serve? Or do you have to do the job that everybody knows, you know, hey, you know, this person's really important. We couldn't do without them. And there are jobs out there where it seems like we couldn't do without them. That's not true. But there are jobs we look at and say, well, if the pastor wasn't there, well, there's another guy that can be a pastor. There's not, there's another person that can be the teacher. There's another person that can do whatever it is. We do things to say, I'm just serving God. And that's where the importance is. Am I doing it to serve God or am I doing it to get recognition? And as we get, especially it gets hard, the higher up the scale you go and the more visible your job is. When somebody's called to be a deacon, you still need to stay humble and serve people. And usually they're, they're called to be a deacon because they're servants. They like to serve. And then I've seen it happen where somebody gets the title deacon and all of a sudden they get this arrogancy around them like, hey, I got a title, I'm important. That is not what we're looking for. Titles in this world are not what we should be looking for. I've said, I love now being a pastor, but I'm still doing the same things that I did for 40 years before. I was teaching, I was instructing, I was serving, I was you know, giving birthday cards out to people, anniversary cards out to people, and calling them when they were sick, and visiting them in the hospital. I'm just now doing it with a, with a title. And in, but we want to be able to say, why am I doing this? Because I'm serving God. If we think we're, we're doing something that's important and going to lift us up and make us look good, we've got the wrong motivation and we're not going to get any reward in heaven for it. We've got a reward on this earth because I'm excited about what I've got on this world. And Jesus says, I've got my reward. He's got our reward in heaven. The great news is that he also gives us a reward while we're here. <laughs> he gives us peace. I love having the peace of God because I can go through things knowing that he's in control. And just knowing that he's in control makes it a lot easier to go through things. Even when it seems like everything's going wrong, God, I don't understand why you're doing this. The, the bottom line is we have peace because he is in control. Nothing will happen to us that he does not allow and that he's aware of. So. 
We may say, God, I don't know why you're doing this. It's really bad. And God says, I'm allowing it. <laughs> just, have, just rest. And we have this great faith rest in Christ. <coughs> we are resting in him because he's done it all. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 13, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Three times he repeats basically the same sentence. Okay, Alpha and Omega would be the same as us saying I'm the A to Z. Because Alpha and Omega is the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet, which means I'm everything. Anything you can put together, I am that. The beginning and the end. We want to be able to really understand Jesus is eternal. He's not only just the beginning of time to the end of time, because he is all of that. He goes into eternity past. And, eternity and in, past. And to an eternity forward. Okay? He is eternal. Now, we can't comprehend eternal because no matter how big you or far back you think it is, triple it or quadruple it or, or uh, Googleplex it, <laughs> you know, it's that much further back. <laughs> and same thing in the future. He has always existed before time, before the beginning. And he says, I include all of it. I'm from the beginning to the end. And he says, the first and the last. There's nothing that was before Jesus and God. And there's going to be nothing after him. That is very powerful comprehension to realize he is eternal. One of the, one of the things in science that we know, this world could not be eternal because of some laws of science. It was, if, if, if all of this went back, all the way back for eternity past, we would be dead by the laws of science because everything tends to be inert, which means stops. <laughs> okay, And if it was eternally old, <laughs> it would be dead at this point because at some point it would have hit stop and continued past it. So we know that there's a God. There we know there's a beginning. And science really knows there has to be a beginning, which is why they push Big Bang so strongly. <coughs> But Big Bang isn't a beginning. Big Bang is this idea of oscillating without having an eternal stop. There has to be a first cause or something outside of nature that causes the first cause. And that means that there is a supernatural. Now, what that supernatural is isn't proved by science. But it, science can really prove that there has to be a supernatural, something outside of nature that causes the first cause. So, and Jesus is outside of that area, and we're going to stop here because I don't want to get into the next verse. Uh, I'm just going to get going. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, okay. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this. We thank you that you are the beginning and the end, the first and the last. There's nothing greater than you and that you love us. And that you care so much for us that you have a reward for us and that you want to go forward with us and that you want to be in a relationship with us, Lord. That is so amazing. Lord, we ask that those who need to know you will recognize their sin, that they deserve punishment and accept your relationship and that they will be blessed by that. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.